Welcome to the Go Hack Something podcast, where education and technology meet. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about my Ro- Robo 3D printer, why I have it, the challenges I've solved over the years, and some recent upgrades that I've made. I'm your host, Will Bushy, author of Wired for Coding, and my co-host, Ross Wickman. He's out on assignment, but we'll catch up with him in the coming weeks. So the kids are all back in school now. We're uh, just getting started to get some planning going with our code club over at Sioux Falls Christian. So look to kick that off here in probably early October, maybe even late September. We'll see if we want to squeeze one in there just so that we don't run out of time before the Christmas break. Um, but also just making some other outreaches. I mentioned on the last episode that I'll be speaking down at a entrepreneurial conference for high school students in Yankton in October. Really looking forward to that. I just found out last week that I'll be speaking at a different conference up at DSU the week before that, and that will be for teachers and educators. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Also be talking about entrepreneurship during that presentation. But the one in Yankton, I mentioned the kind of a robot that I was working on or going to be working on for that project. I started that, I've got it probably 90% complete and it turned out really well. I did have some interesting challenges with uh, the power. It seems like power always is the problem. Problem I ran into this time was the little battery pack that I was using. What if I if I ran the motors at full speed, it would trigger it as maybe being a short circuit, and then the power bank would just shut off, so I'd lose all power to my robot. But if I used a different power bank that doesn't have that type of a, of a cutout, it works fine. So I do have a little bit more work to do on that. But I did come up with an interesting name. I'm calling it the Twitter Bot. It's a little bit of a play on names. You probably have heard a lot about different Twitter bots that have been out there today. I know Twitter's been cracking down on Twitter bots. Twitter bots traditionally are going to be software that auto-tweet or auto-respond or do stuff within the, the Twitter framework. And of course, my Twitter bot is a bot that's controlled by Twitter. <laughs> so anyway, a little bit of a play on names. I've just been kind of loosely calling it. I built a, a Twitter bot and it's uh, also kind of humorous because it does use the same technology that a, a traditional Twitter bot would use in order to monitor the feed and then do something based on what the feed has posted. So in my case, students will be tweeting directions or instructions, and then the robot in the real world will be doing those. But you know, a more traditional Twitter bot would monitor for uh, things like directions and then do something on them and usually retweet and back or, or send some message. So a little bit, it kind of works a little bit on both. Of course, my code, the software side of my Twitter bot is not very many lines of code. And I'll probably have that be as part of my presentation just to give kids an idea when people say, you know, hey, how could you potentially write a Twitter bot? Just how easy it is today with the libraries and programs that exist. And you don't have to be a 20 plus year software engineer in order to pull that kind of stuff off. So another quick thing to mention is uh, one of the reasons we've had a huge gap here in the podcast episodes is, is that I normally would record on the weekends. And over the last month, I've had quite a few things come up where I've been tied up over the weekends, had some business guys in town um, that just stretched out a little bit longer and ended up um, spending some extra time with them and didn't really feel like uh, recording anything once they left on the after that long weekend. Another thing that took me out of one of the weekends was I helped out with uh, one of the Techstars Unsummits. Now, an Unsummit is kind of a little bit as it sounds. It's not meant to be something very well-structured and organized with presenters, but rather something that's a little bit more loosely ingrained around maybe the participants producing content, the host producing content, Techstars producing some content, a little more of kind of free-form discussion. And we talked a lot about what the different communities are doing around entrepreneurship. 
we had uh, about 20 people at 10. We had some people from Fargo, Minneapolis, Omaha, um, uh, Colorado. Uh, there might have been a couple others from other areas too. But we all got together and we talked about what the respective communities are doing around entrepreneurship, things that we think are working well, things that we want to improve on, what has kind of been some challenges that people have seen. Fargo team just did a startup weekend about a month earlier. So they were able to give us a great update about how that event has shifted over the years for them. But it was a lot of fun. We learned a lot. We talked. Uh, we spent a good couple hours talking about doing a Sioux Falls startup week. So we're hopeful we can get something like that going here uh, sometime in 2019. I think that'll be a lot of fun too. I think the there's a lot of mystery around uh, how these events get started. And we usually just hear about the big cities and these huge events that take place. But, you know, honestly, they all start somewhere. So what we'd like to do is just do a, a relatively small startup week around here in Sioux Falls, get a little bit more exposure to some of the tech companies and startup companies that are in the area. So today's topic, I wanted to talk about my 3D printer. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is because every time I mention to people that I have a 3D printer, they're just in awe and they always have a thousand questions. And to me, this is something that I've had for for years. I mean, it's been probably five years, maybe even longer. I'm not even sure when I first got it. Uh, when I first got my Robo 3D printer, it was a Kickstarter project. And honestly, the software wasn't very good at the time. And I just could not get it to work. I spent way too many hours screwing around with it. And I eventually just kind of put it back in the box and thought, well, when I have some more free time, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. And so it sat for probably a year unused. Uh, then I, I got it back out and started messing around with it again and, and got it to work and print really, really well. But uh, before I dive too deep into my specific 3D printer, just wanted to kind of let you know this is not a podcast about 3D printers. I don't have any recommendations. I'm not reviewing any printers. Although if any of the manufacturers want to send me a printer to review, I'd be happy to, to take a look at it and give you my two cents on, on your 3D printer. One of the first things that people ask me when they know I have a 3D printer is how does it work? They're just baffled with this idea and concept. And I guess if you've never seen one or the very first time, if you're not into technology, you may just be very confused as to how something could just magically appear. Um, so one of the things I, I like to, to do is just kind of set that initial groundwork for everybody and kind of explain the process. The easiest way to think about it I think, is is that it's uh, like an inkjet printer where it's just going to print and everybody knows how an inkjet printer works. It um, prints one layer of ink on top of the paper with a little printhead that goes back and forth. Well, a 3D printer will do that, but it will do it over and over and over and over again, reprinting on that same piece of paper, each time adding a little bit more ink and a little bit more ink so that you actually build an object from the bottom up. Each time you add more and more layers, it becomes taller and taller. Now, likewise, with a inkjet printer, we can get very fine detail, very accurate, little tiny, lay down very, very small amounts of plastic. It's technically 0.3 to 0.4 millimeters in size each time it goes around. And so it's got a, a printer head that just moves around on all three axes, X, Y, and Z, and it slowly builds up an object using molted plastic. And as it goes, it just becomes taller and taller and taller. And then depending on how big and complicated the object is, some of these prints might take 15, 20 minutes or many, many hours. Some of the prints that I've made have taken you know, two to four hours to print. And I've seen a friend of mine runs a, a professional 3D printing shop and he actually has 
prints that will take upwards of 50 to 60 hours to just print one uh, object. And it all depends on the quality and the size of the object. And that's how all 3D printers work. They they use a plastic. It's either a PLA or there's some other filament plastic types that can be used as well. And they heat that up to around 210 degrees Celsius. They push it through an extruder and then lay down one layer on top of another on top of another very slowly and then build that object up. So there's also a couple of different components to a 3D printer. The first is the hardware part. And that's the part where it has, usually their stepper motors, so you can get very accurate movement on your X, Y, and Z axes. And the second part is the software. It's how do you tell the motors where to go and what to move. So I'm going to cover each of those in a little bit more detail for you. So on the hardware side, and almost all 3D printers, there's two different types. But for this purpose, we're going to talk about the ones that are a little bit more linear that work with a uh, stepper motor that has... Um, an X, Y, and a Z motor, and each one of them then moves the object or moves the print head back and forth or the bed back and forth. It really depends on the style on how they move each of those three axes. So the X axis is the one, if you're just looking at the print front on, is the one that's going to go left and right. And the Y axis is the one that's going to go forward and backward. And the Z axis is going to be the one that goes up. And in a 3D printer, it will only go up. So once it prints a layer, it's done with that layer, and it'll never do that layer again. It'll then move up to the next layer and then print everything that's needed. So each of the axes is going to require a different stepper motor. And each of these stepper motors are very accurate, being able to move just down to fractions of millimeters in distance. And that's what allows the printer to work in very, very fine detail as it prints out. Now, also think about if you could only print one layer at a time, and then once you printed that layer, you could never go back and print that layer again. There's some other things that are involved with it uh, on the software side, things like uh, what's called a like an overhang, and you'll need some additional support. And then the last thing to talk about on the hardware is going to be the brains behind it. What's telling it to move up, down, left, right, and so on. And there's going to be some type of a microcontroller, microprocessor within every 3D printer. Depending on the printer, it's either going to have a lot of features or just a few features. Some of the material that you use will require what's called a heated bed, in which case the bed has to also be heated up to around 50 degrees Celsius in order for the material to stick. Now, if you use PLA, PLA, you don't need to worry too, too much about the bed and the heated bed and having it uh, stick. In fact, mine doesn't have a heated bed and I use just regular uh, blue painter's tape in order to get it to stick to the uh, acrylic top on mine. So there's some very simple things that you can do to get that to um, to start. And if you're using a, a material like PLA, it doesn't quite require as much setup and configuration. So that's about it on the hardware side. We've got an um, extruder, which will push the hot molten plastic out. We'll have a stepper motor for the X, Y, and Z axes. And then a fourth one, which will push the extruded plastic into the extruder to then be pushed out. And then there'll be some type of a controller. And that's about it. Um, if it has a heated bed, that'll be a separate component. And then there'll be something that kind of ties all this together, whether it's a small display or something that can be hooked up to your computer.
So now let's shift to talk about the software. Arguably, there's a lot more technology in the software than there is in the hardware. In fact, if you go out and look, you'll see there's all kinds of kits that you can buy for 3D printers. And honestly, they're not that complicated. If you're somewhat handy, I wouldn't hesitate to buy a kit and put it together yourself. Now, you're not necessarily going to save money by buying a kit. Uh, but if it's something that you really enjoy, and I know we talked about building things in the last episode. So if that's something that you like to tinker with, I wouldn't hesitate to buy a kit, even some of the Chinese kits. You might save a few dollars, uh, but it'd probably be a, a good, enjoyable process in an afternoon. The software side, on the other hand, is where a lot of technology is, is has been put, and it's just constantly changing. All 3D printers operate using something called G-Code, or at least most of them. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but most of them will use a language called G-Code. Now, the G-Code will tell the printer how to move those stepper motors and where they need to go and how much material needs to be pushed out, whether the fan needs to be on or off, all kinds of different things. Now, the way that G-Code gets created is it's not something a human would write, but rather it takes an object that you've built in software, a 3D modeled object, and it will call it'll do what's called slicing. It'll slice that object into layers, and then it'll also have logic to decide how to fill in the infill and how to move the head around so that you have a very even uh, build, and also where you might need support on the object. And then for each of those layers, it builds a whole bunch of code, G-code, and it writes that out on how that object now needs to be printed with your particular printer. And then each printer will have its own slight modifications on what it needs to do on that G-code. And that software is called a slicer software. And there's quite a few open source and commercially available slicers that are out there. Depending on your printer, you may have a proprietary printer interface, or you may have something that just writes the code directly to a, a little flash drive or a little USB stick that you plug into the printer with the already compiled G-code, and then the printer will just automatically print that G-code. Now, more the more complicated the printer, the more logic it's going to have. You're going to be able to control it from a computer. You're going to be able to get a status update on what's going on, maybe a... Um, uh, a layer-by-layer -layer view of your object as it's being printed. But anyway, those are the two main parts. We've got the hardware part and we have the software part. And there could be a lot of variations kind of depending on the type of printer that you've purchased. So now that we've talked about the printers, let's talk about stuff that you can actually print on a 3D printer. This is where a lot of people are confused. <laughs> People think you can just randomly print anything. It's like, well, once you get one 3D printer, you can just 3D print another printer. And, <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. A 3D printer is going to print what would be considered somewhat simplistic objects. Now, they're going to be made of plastic, and they're going to be built up in those layers, as I talked about. So they're not going to be super strong. I mean, they're going to be okay strong, but you know, you're not going to 3D print a gear and stick it into um, a motor and expect it to survive. You're also not going to 3D print a spoon and expect it to be able to scoop ice cream. It just doesn't have that strength to it. But for a prototyping platform, if you need to see if something's going to fit or before you actually make a cast of something, you can use a 3D printer to relatively quickly print that model and find out if it's going to work. See if it's going to fit, if it's ergonomically correct, if it's functionally correct. In general, your 3D printer is going to be used 
for kind of two different purposes. One, you're probably going to be using it for prototyping purposes. You want to build something and you want to see if this is going to work. Now, if what your final build is doesn't require a super strength, you know, that's fine too. You can, and I've done this all the time. I've built all kinds of small cases or enclosures or um, just, you know, as I've 3D printed design different things to hold LED lights or clips. You know, those things, again, as long as they don't require a lot of strength are, are great. You can 3D print them, start using them in production. The second main area that you're going to use your 3D printer for is to print what I would call trinkets or gadgets <laughs> or toys. And I've printed probably 90% of what I print fits into that category. And a lot of uh, if you go to thingiverse.com, there's just thousands and thousands of things that people have designed that you can just go ahead and download and print. They may be little figurines or little sculptures. Maybe they're a little, um, little doll furniture for your dollhouse, or you know, they could even be just some um, kind of useful trinket type pieces, like maybe something that holds two wires for you to solder or a little clamp um, that you can use to hold something down. There's just thousands of different things. And in that category, those are going to be more of just kind of fun, interesting things to print. And I'll print a lot of little small like uh, tree frogs or um, Pokemon characters, um, video game medallions, just all kinds of things for kids. And a lot of times we'll talk a little bit about 3D printing. We might bring a 3D printer in and then hand out the printed objects for the kids. Kids just find that fascinating. And then just being able to have a whole bunch of those to hand out um, just works out really, really well for events. I mentioned this earlier. My printer is the Robo 3D R1. It was the very first generation Kickstarter from the Robo 3D company. And they still make 3D printers today. And they've come a long, long, long ways. But my printer is super basic. I mean, it is so basic that it literally is being controlled with an Arduino. If you flip it over, you'll see there's a Arduino Mega in there, and then there's a motorboard plugged into that, and then there's four aftermarket motorboards that are then plugged into that motorboard header. And it's got wires that are then soldered together that run all the way up into where the the motors are and where each of the uh, or each of the servos are, as well as where the extruder is. And it's it's very basic. The printer itself has no memory, no display. It can't store a file on it. It does need to be connected up to a computer of some sort in order to print. Now, when I originally got this, it was, um, I don't even know how many years ago, five plus years ago, and it was sold as a kit or assembled. I did go ahead and go get the assembled version. I don't think it was very much more expensive to have it pre-assembled. I just figured that would be one less of a headache. And it was one of the very first printers available commercially uh, for people to buy. They had been around for a number of years in more of an industrial sense or a hobbyist sense. This one was meant to be the first one that was more kind of plug and play. And when I got it, it was um, it was still very, very new. Um, and I think it was one of the very first ones that just was available for consumers to purchase. And I paid I think it was $500 or $450 for it. And it was months and months out before it was going to be ready because it was a, a Kickstarter project. Um, but anyway, they've come a long ways. Now Robo 3D makes all kinds of really good, high quality printers that have displays, um, have just a ridiculous uh, quality and quality and, and, um, and service on their printers. The newest ones have heated enclosures so that your, your plastic uh, stays the perfect temperature 
while it's being printed. And the quality is, is just so much better than what I have. But nonetheless, I've had mine for a long time. I don't production print anything. It's mostly just for fun. I enjoy printing a lot of kind of trinkets and junk for kids. I enjoy building my own enclosures and being able to test and prototype them on my own printer. So it's not uh, anything super fancy, but then again, a lot of people don't have any printers. So <laughs> um, it works perfect for, for what I need to do. Now, my printer, while it works fine stock, I've actually made a number of modifications to it over the years. I mentioned that it doesn't have a display or memory or any way to store any of the G code. The way it works is it needs to be actually plugged into a computer and then you print, kind of like you would a normal printer, you print to the 3D printer and then the printer has to stay connected. I'm sorry, the computer has to stay connected to the printer during the whole print as it's slowly pushing the new files up. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. One, um, if you're printing for five hours, <laughs> your computer has to be there the whole time. You can't just unplug your laptop and walk away and let the print finish. The other is if the program locks up or crashes, you're going to lose your print. And there's just simply no way to pick up a print halfway through a print. So you have to start over. And that kind of sucks. The other is, is that only one person could then ever use that printer. Uh, I mean, I guess technically they'd only be able to use it one at a time anyway. But you know that one computer or laptop would always be the one that's configured and set up. So one of the very first modifications that I did is I installed a program called Repeater Host on a Raspberry Pi, and then my 3D printer gets plugged into that repeater host. The repeater host acts as a print server, and then I can use the repeater client on my laptop to then connect to the host, upload the file that should be printed, and then it'll it'll essentially be that print server for my printer. It'll serve up the data as needed, and then it'll keep a constant monitoring on the print job, which ultimately comes back to my laptop. Now, once I start a print, I can shut my laptop off, close it up, walk away. The print will continue to print without any troubles. Well, almost without any troubles. Sometimes they don't end well. But that's one of the modifications that I made. And it's been a very useful modification because that allows my daughter to also use the 3D printer if I'm not home and I've got the laptop with me. She's got one set up and she can just print right direct to the print server and just as though it was a, a regular printer. And she likes to build her own objects in Tinkercad and then print them out on the 3D printer. And then recently I replaced the extruder. My original extruder was an old ceramic extruder and it had honestly been working fine for me. Now the quality wasn't necessarily the best, but um, something happened here a couple months ago and it, it just didn't work anymore. Uh, filament would get stuck in it and it just wouldn't go through and it would stop halfway through a print. So I started doing some research and found out there's a lot of greater, newer extruders out there that would work. Now, because my printer was first generation, it doesn't have a lot of the quick connectors and it wasn't just a simple plug and play. I physically had to cut the old extruder wires out, resolder them back together with the new extruder and get it all reassembled. Not a big deal since these are things that I do all the time. So for me, that wasn't a problem. Although I could see, you know, maybe somebody that's less familiar with electronics, not wanting to get in at that level to do an upgrade on a printer. The other thing that I do is, is I've printed a number of things over the years, just different spool holders or supports that just help the printer do a slightly better job. As you can imagine, as these um, stepper motors jerk back and forth, they can kind of shake everything on the printer. So there's some little supports that you can print to, to just kind of lock everything in, give it a little bit more stability. And then the, unfortunately, the way the robo 
3D filament holder was originally designed, it, it wasn't optimal and the filament would get stuck periodically, which is just catastrophic for a print job. And there's a bunch of different uh, designs that people have made to add a a better way to hold that filament on the top of the machine. So I've printed a couple of those over the years. I just reprinted one here uh, when I added the new extruder because I wanted to see what the quality differences were. And there's all kinds of things. If you just search for your printer name within Tinkercad you'll pro- or within um, Thingiverse, you'll probably find dozens of different add-ons and extensions. So those are a few of the modifications that I've made over the years to, to my printer. And it honestly prints pretty well. I mean, it prints, it's not commercial grade by any means. A $5,000 printer is going to have a far better tolerance than than my $400 printer. But all things considered for what I use it for, it works just fine. So a lot of people ask me, well, what do you print if you are just printing trinkets? Obviously, I don't need trinkets. (laughs) And there's a lot of truth in that. I would say most of the things I print end up ultimately getting thrown out just because I don't have a use for them or I hand out a little 3D printed a tree frog, and I'm sure eventually it ends up in the trash. But I have actually printed a, a number of real world type of um, products that have worked very well that I still use today. You know, some of these are going to be enclosures for my Raspberry Pis or enclosures for my Arduinos. And I've even done quite a few kind of custom modifications to them. There's some um, in Tinkercad, you can create very, some very simple basic components and then be able to uh, add and subtract material from them. So you might create a, a square or a, or a little um, like a tablet holder. And then from there, you're able to go in and make some modifications to them and tweak them. And I've done a lot of those over the years. Some of the things that have been more useful include uh, like component trays for electronics, uh, closures that I've already mentioned. Things like a tablet uh, stand or a cell phone stand. I actually use those all day, every day. It's just, uh, I mean, I know you can buy them commercially, but I've got some nice 3D printed ones that I use. So anyway, I've probably rambled on too much about my 3D printer already, but I thought I'd just leave you with a couple of things. I do believe the technology is constantly getting better, but I don't know if I would consider it consumer ready just yet. I don't know if it's something where... Yeah, you would just go buy one at Office Max and plug it in and, and be happy with it. If you love tinkering and you love technology and you love kind of having, getting in there and, and testing and making something, I think a 3D printer is the perfect tool for you. And the prices on them vary significantly. Now it's a little bit level. I mean, a $250 printer is not going to be as good as a $4,000 printer, but on the same token, if you want to get started, I would potentially start with one of those two or three or $400 printers. And they're going to be a little bit less quality. They might require a little bit more tinkering on your end, but you'll also learn a lot more than if you just go with a high-end four, five, $7,000 printer that would be a little bit more kind of quote plug and play where you would just plug it in. The other thing that I think is greatly valuable is uh, for 3D printers is just a learning tool for kids. The technology itself is fascinating. It's not going away. I mean, if you follow this field at all, you'll see there's all different types of 3D printing techniques and technologies that are coming to market. You may have seen some videos of houses being 3D printed with concrete, or you might be seeing some some little micro uh, 3D printers that are printing uh, very, very fine uh, medical device objects, 
or they might be 3D printing prosthetics for kids uh, that maybe have uh, missing limbs. There's all kinds of uses in the, the devices themselves are all quite similar in nature. They all have the XYZ axes and they have, and most of them use the G code that I mentioned earlier, and they all will use some type of a slicing tool in order to get that code. Now, you may also be thinking, it's like, well, I don't want to create my own objects. Well, that's fine. You don't have to create your own objects. Most of the things I print and most things most people print, they don't create them themselves. There's a great website called thingiverse.com where there's just thousands or hundreds of thousands of objects that you can then search through, download, and print. You could spend the rest of your life finding cool and interesting things to print on Thingiverse. And if you are one that wants to build your own objects, I would definitely start by taking a look at Tinkercad. Now, Tinkercad's a somewhat lightweight CAD solution, but I have been able to build some very complicated objects using Tinkercad. Now, it's going to take some getting used to because building things in 3D worlds and landscapes are a lot more complicated than 2D. Uh, but I have been able to kind of manipulate that, and a lot of people have, to build quite complicated objects. So, And it's free, so take a look at that. It'd be a great way to get started. And then if you really like it, you can always expand up to some of the more commercially available products products that do tend to run a lot more. Uh, I think the next jump up might be somewhere around $500 for commercial software. And then I think the last thing I want to leave you with today is just, man, uh, set your expectations correctly. A lot of people go in and I've, I've heard a lot of people buy a two, $300 printer and then just be very disappointed with it because they were kind of under the impression that they would just plug it in, push a button and pop out comes a, um, I don't know, a Pokemon character. And that just isn't the case. It does take a lot of work to set things up. You're going to probably be disappointed with a lot of the print quality that comes out on a low-end printer. And the other thing is, is that uh, the objects that get printed, there's still a lot of things that can go wrong. So you may have a filament jam, uh, which might just screw up your print an hour in. And you just kind of have to have patience with it. And you have to be able to troubleshoot and just sit back and enjoy the fact that you're able to 3D print an object in the first place. Well, with that, I want to thank everybody for joining me today. If you have not left a review on Apple, I'd love it if you'd head over there and give us a big five star. As always, you can join the conversation on our Facebook page. Just search for Go Hack Something. To subscribe, head over to gohacksomething.com where you'll find the links to all of the podcast feeds, or you can just search for Go Hack Something wherever you get your podcast today. So thanks, go hack something and go print something.